So, uh, a few months ago now, I went on my first spiritual retreat. And so, basically what that is, is you go away, usually to the middle of nowhere, and you don't take a phone or anything like that with you. And the idea is just to be with God, to have time and space to be with him. Now, you can do silent retreats uh, where you are silent the entire week. I didn't do that one. Um, I I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Just (laughs) didn't quite feel called to do that quite yet. (laughs) So mine, the way I did it, was uh, there was like a little bit of input, maybe like 20 minutes of, of someone sharing a thought or lesson or teaching. And then there would be hours of nothing. And then you'd have a meal, and there'd be a little more input, and then more hours of nothing. And so I arrived, and I'm excited, but I'm also a little nervous because I don't really know what to expect, and I've never done this. And within about an hour of arriving on site, I had already planned every single spare moment. I'd filled it all. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was like, okay, so tomorrow morning we have like two hours. Great. I'm going to go on like a really long walk. And then the afternoon they have that art barn. I'm going to go like be creative and paint. I never have time to do that. That'll be good. Okay. And then, oh, they have this like beautiful little chapel. And so I want to go sing and worship in there. So I'll do that then. And they have these prayer slots. So I'll sign up for two of those. And, you know, I just, I planned it all. Filled up all my time. And quite quickly, both Jesus and my very kind, lovely retreat leader called me out on that. And they said, what are you doing? That's not the point. The point isn't to do all these things. It's to be with Jesus. And none of those things were bad. It's good to to go on beautiful walks and to pray and worship and all these things. I filled my time up with good things. But I was letting myself get so distracted by the stuff that I was going to miss out on Jesus, which is the point. And there's actually a classic Bible example of this. It's the story of Mary and Martha. And so we're going to look at it this morning. It's in Luke 10. Bring it up. It'll come up on the screen or feel free to, you know, bring it up on your Bible apps or the Bibles dotted around the room. It says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, if you've been in church for a decent amount of time, you've probably heard this story. You've probably read it. You've probably heard it taught. And it can be kind of a contentious story, kind of a, an emotive story. 
In fact, I had some friends around this week, and we started talking about this passage. And immediately, they were like, oh, but Martha gets such a bad rap, and, you know, everyone just hates on Martha, and no, don't be a Martha. But, like, the world needs Marthas. And they have a good point. We often just kind of say this story and teach this story as, oh, don't be a Martha. Oh, no, 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 don't be a Martha, don't be that, oh, no. But when we do that, we miss the deeper meaning of what Jesus is really saying here. Because Jesus isn't upset by Martha's serving. That's not why he rebukes her. He's not upset that she wants to serve him and his people. She's not upset. He's not upset that, that you know, she wants to create this space where people can encounter the Lord. Those are good things. We need people like Martha. We need people to do that. So that's not why he rebukes her. No, scripture says she was distracted by much serving. That she was anxious and troubled. Other translations say she was pulled away from Jesus because of the serving. And that's the issue. That her serving, that her filling her time with good things was distracting her from being with Jesus. That she could actually miss out on him when he's sitting in her living room. I almost missed out on Jesus on my retreat because I was so distracted by the stuff. Mary, on the other hand, she just sits at the feet of Jesus. She looks up at his eyes. She gazes at his face, gazes at all he is, and lets him share his heart with her. And Jesus tells Martha that that is the one thing that is necessary. Not just good, not just the right thing in that moment, but the necessary thing. It is necessary for us to come and sit at the feet of Jesus, to be with him without an agenda, just to to gaze up at his face, like what we were doing in worship this morning, right? It is necessary to do that. Psalm 27 says it this way. This is King David writing, you know, the the King David that we learn so much about worship from. And this is his heart cry, his prayer, his song. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing that he wants, just one, to be surrounded by the presence of God all his days, to gaze at the beauty of Jesus, to to meditate, to ponder on his words and his ways and his heart. It's the one thing we're called to. You know, we, we come in here on a Sunday and We get to sing these beautiful worship songs with this epic band. And sometimes when we do that, I 
I can't help myself. I have to, I have to move, right? I have to, I, have to, I have to dance. I have to, you know, stomp or do one of these. And, and I have to, to, to shout sometimes, right? Sometimes I, I shake and twitch and, or I even come up here to lead ministry and, and I shake and twitch. And, and sometimes I, I shout at y'all because I'm just so excited, <laughs> But I don't do those things because I'm just, you know, like some loud, obnoxious American. I mean, maybe that's a small part of it. I don't know. But, but I, I do those things because I, I can't contain it. It... Honestly, sometimes I can't believe he's as good and beautiful as he is. And I just, it's like my limited self, my limited being and body can't physically contain how beautiful he is. And so I have to like get it out in some way, right? But that's what beauty does to us. Beauty moves us. It compels us. Beauty actually demands a response from us. You can think of it this way. When you're on a walk and you see a sunset, you pause. You stop and you look at the sunset. Or um, like when you hear a baby giggling, you got to smile. Have you ever been moved to tears because of a song? Because there was something in, in the melody or the lyrics that, oh, it just got you, Right? Or the best is when you, you're eating out with friends and they bring the food and it's so good that the whole table goes silent, right? We have these universal human experiences where we respond to beauty and to goodness and we don't need to be taught to do it. No one needs to teach you to say, oh, that sunset's beautiful or to teach you how to enjoy a tasty meal. You just respond to it because you're actually designed and wired to respond to it, to respond to, to beauty in all its ways. And that's because every beautiful and good thing on this earth reflects the creator. It reflects the beauty of the Lord, this, this beauty that is endlessly fascinating that is eternally fascinating. You know, we're going to spend all eternity fascinated by the beauty of Jesus. Revelation shares a picture of what this might look like, and it talks about, like, these crazy creatures with eyes and wings, and, and, and they're just shouting out for all eternity, holy, holy, holy. That's the only thing they can do to respond. They're so undone by who Jesus is that they just spend all of, all of forever just singing holy, holy, holy. And we hear about these elders who are so enthralled with King Jesus that they cast their crowns at his feet over and over and over again for forever. They can't help themselves themselves. 
They have to respond to the fullness of who he is. And we're going to be doing that too. If you're a believer, you get to partake in that. You get to join in with that. But we, we can join in now. That's not just for, you know, when we die to go, and go to heaven. That's for now. We can be endlessly fascinated by him now. Because he's it. That's it. That's the whole thing. It's just him. Just Jesus. It's, it's not Jesus and whatever you might want to fill in there. It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus and good works. It's not Jesus and serving. It's not Jesus and the new Helzer's album and, and this podcast and, and that conference. It's, it's not even Jesus and prayer in your Bible. It's just him. And I need to be really clear and really careful about that statement I just said. Because all of those things I mentioned are good things. And they're really important things. They're very important to your ongoing journey with Jesus and your discipleship and learning how to grow deep in your faith. I really want you to serve. I really, really, really want you to read your Bible. And I really, really want you to pray. I just want you to know why you're doing it. I want you to do those things. I want us to do all those good and important things because we love Jesus. Because we know he's it. There's a worship leader uh, that I work with called Chris Burns, and he has this saying that if we follow the first commandment, we'll follow the other nine. The idea is that if we follow the first commandment, which is to love the Lord our God, to, to love him with everything in us, right, to, to put him above everything else, so, so no idols, nothing and no one goes above him. If we do that, just give him our all, love him with everything in us, the other stuff will work itself out. Because when I love Jesus, when I am focused on him, when I am gazing at his face, I want to obey him. I want to, to tell the world how great he is. I want to serve others. When I am gazing at the beauty of Jesus, when I am so enthralled with this person of truth, I want to read the book of truth he gave us. But I think sometimes we add these extras to him. We, we do Jesus and whatever it is. Because maybe we're a little nervous, we're a little scared that we have to somehow earn his gaze, that we have to earn his love and affection, that we have to do something so that he'll turn and look at us. 
nothing could be farther from the truth. Jesus loves you. Like, like loves you. His gaze is upon you right now. He's looking at you with, with love and, and affection and joy and delight right now. And it's not because you've done X, Y, and Z for him this week. It's not because you're going to do this or you did that or whatever. It's just because he loves you. It's just because he wants you. You know, my favorite moment at a wedding is when the bride comes in and everyone stands and looks at the bride, right? It's great. And everyone is rightfully so staring at her and she's beautiful and everyone's like, oh my gosh, ah. I don't look at the bride in that moment. It's a little secret. I turn and look at the groom. It is the best. Because everyone's eyes are on the bride, including his. And I'm telling you, next time you're at a wedding, do this. Because he is so captivated by his bride. He's so amazed by her beauty and all that she is. He, he can't believe. He's so thankful and excited that he gets to call her his. And it's all written on his face. It's beautiful. But church, we're the bride of Christ. So if our friend who gets married looks at his bride that way, how much more does King Jesus look at his bride? Right? He's completely captivated and enthralled with who you are. Jesus. So when, you know, we talk about this and we do what, what we just did in worship we talk about gazing at the beauty of Jesus. It starts with recognizing his gaze is upon us. That he looks at us with all that love and joy and, and affection and devotion right now. It starts from that place. And then it's about looking back at him. And I know the language that we're using, like gazing at the beauty of Jesus, it's, it's very poetic, and some of us might have a hard time kind of relating into that. But, but what we're talking about, the beauty of Jesus, that's just who he is. It's, the beauty of Jesus is all of his attributes and his characteristics. It's, it's the fullness of who he is, all the goodness he is, all, all the, everything about him. That's the beauty of Jesus. So we, we gaze at it. We look at the fullness of who our king is. Jesus. And from that place, we let his beauty move us. We let it compel us. We respond to it. And so all of a sudden, I'm not serving because I'm supposed to. I'm serving because I'm obsessed with my servant king. And we're investing in community and fellowship, not because someone told us we, we should, but because we see one another the way Jesus sees us. And we're sharing the gospel with the world because we can't believe how good he is. 
Jesus. And we, we start praying for, for one another and for the nations. Because we know this miracle working God. We do all of that because his beauty moves us. But it all starts with this one necessary thing. That we would be surrounded by his presence all our days, gaze at his beauty, and ponder all of his ways.